So I want to have this conversation, but I don't know how to have it. I mean, I kind of know how to have it. I, I got a clue how to have it. But what I want to say, I don't know. I hope it isn't offensive. Hey, everybody. Pre-Accident Investigation Podcast. It's Todd. How are you? I hope you're good. It's uh, another time for a podcast. And, you know, this podcast stuff's happening. I hope you enjoyed the last one. I loved it. I thought it was great. There was so much good stuff in that that it kind of made me crazy. Everything's grand here. I just got back from a giant tour of Canada. Yes, and I mean a pretty giant tour. I uh, I got to keynote. What a treat to get to kick off a, a meeting. It's it's kind of a cool opportunity because you kind of can help set the tone for what's going to happen in the meeting and how things are going to go. I mean, I'm not saying I'm that powerful because that's not true. But you do get a chance to sort of challenge people to think differently as the convention that they're attending progresses. And I was at uh, Energy Safety Canada, and it was in Banff. And the weather was stunning, like um, movie stunning, like unbelievably stunning. And so that was soup. Those people do such a great job, and it was really fun. I had a, had a good time. Um all the way around. And then I did a bunch of other, I, I, uh, I was with the Kinross people. I, I just did all sorts of cool stuff. Got to travel pretty much across Canada, which is not a small feat. You know, it's, it takes like the best part of a day to get from one end to the other end, just like other places, but it was very cool. Got to eat some Nanaimo bars. Thank you very much. And I mean it. Those are incredible. If you don't know what those are, look them up. They're completely worth looking. It's like a secret candy that Canada doesn't want you to know they have. But they're ama- I don't I don't even know how to describe them, other than they're delicious. And look them up. They're just they're amazing. So that was fun. And then I got to come back, and and that was uh, exciting as well because you know flying nowadays is. A lot of things, but I wouldn't say easy is is a word. I, I'm t- and I try not to complain about it because it seems weak to make that complaint. But man, everything's late and everything's full, and people are all freaked out and angry and pushy and rude and uh, you know you know the deal. Kindness has dwindled, but I am personally trying to bring it back into fashion. And I'm doing it, you know, by modeling it and asking people to be kind and, you know, the normal stuff. So that's what's going on there. Um, today's podcast is interesting. You, you heard the teaser a little bit. I want to talk to you about um, something that I've been spending a lot of time thinking about. Well, not just thinking about it. It's, it's something that um, I think all of us have been spending a lot of time um, doing. And it's a pretty important part of how we move forward, and what we think about happens next. So let's um, let's talk about the interesting part of today's podcast. So I'm going to start with my theme. And my theme really comes from something I've noticed. And that is there are basically uh, many types of conversations we have. 
And if you don't know this, this is all sort of fundamentally pinned around the idea that change generally happens within our organizations through conversation, not through grand rollouts of full enterprise-wide systems, not through edicts from on high, not from letters written about change, but in fact from a series of conversations. And if you really think about change, it happens progressively kind of one conversation at a time. And that's probably always how change has happened. I'm not familiar with always. I mean, I don't have a data set for always. But I can tell you if you look at organizational change, it happens kind of in the Edgar Schein model that we we have conversations which influence how we believe and those conversations that influence beliefs then actually influence the values and values are how we think about beliefs and if we influence values then that actually influences actions and if we change actions then we've changed the organization and so if you look at any program that espouses the high need to create change anywhere, diet, pro, any, any place, any kind of change you want to look at, it's going to start with changing the belief system, sort of a fundamental philosophical shift. And then that changes how we think about what we do, which then changes how we do. A great example. I'll give you a perfect example. If, if we're trying to philosophically get an entire world to believe in a different definition of safety. So safety is not the absence of accidents. It's the presence of capacity. We talk about that all the time. That's a pretty standard thing for us. The way that change will happen is we'll have conversations about the fact that we make a system better, not by removing bad things, but by adding good things. And that systems that were robust and resilient during, for instance, the pandemic were robust and resilient because those systems had additional capacity. They had additional tolerance. And when uncertainty happened, those systems were able to absorb that uncertainty and continue to function. And so we have that, and that sort of shifts the belief system. And it really is, you've, you've had this conversation before, it really does change how people define safety. What it really does is change how they talk about safety, which therefore then changes how they think about safety. And so when you start to think about safety as the presence of resilience or the presence of capacity or the presence of safeguards or the presence of barriers or the presence of controls – all of those things are kind of the same, then what happens is is we start to go out and actually monitor, assess, verify, and validate systems, not for the presence of risk, but for the presence of control. And that changes everything because it changes the conversation, which changes, supports the belief system, which then changes and supports the value system, which will continue to change and support the actions. And if you read any Edgar Schein at all, God rest him, you know that there's kind of this little model that starts with beliefs at the bottom, and then an arrow that points up to values, and then an arrow that points up to action, and then an arrow on the side that points to the organization, and then that all goes down and points back into the belief system, kind of like a cycle. It's not a cycle. It's not closed loop, 
But that's kind of Shine's observation on how changes happen. So, you know, we should give credit where credit's due. And Shine was the one that sort of at first talked about this and made it reality. So that's all really fine and good because those are the conversations you have and you have them all the time. And you have them with workers, but that's a pretty easy conversation to have because I find, and I could be really fortunate or stupid or both, um, that workers for the most part understand this idea pretty well, and it's not a big philosophical shift. Where the conversation has the most power is when we work with our leadership. And leaders truly believe, it's, it's sort of at their peril, that the system is perfect and the people are screwing it up. We're helping them believe that the system's imperfect and the people are creating adaptive capacity to take an imperfect system and use it effectively. That's what you do. I mean, that's a, that's a, in case you forgot, that's a refresher of your job. And those conversations are incredibly valuable because that's how change happens. But the part I want to talk about is not that part. That's kind of the foundation. That's what everything's going to be built on. The part I want to talk about is the fact that sometimes we're in positions where we're forced to have conversations that actually make us stupider. Or, or maybe it would be nicer to say it this way. We're forced to have conversations that actually make everybody stupider, us included, but also the people we're having conversations with, and everybody kind of comes out stupider. And that, I think, is something we ought to be cognizant of. Because near as I can tell, and I'm getting old, I didn't know this aging thing would happen so fast. If you're listening, just be aware, it happens like really stinking fast. But I've noticed as I've uh, gotten long in the tooth and gotten older that, in fact, it's probably not worth our time to have conversations that make us stupider. In fact, I would suggest it's kind of harmful. It's not only not worth our time, it wastes our time. And it actually moves us in the wrong direction and creates an environment we don't want to have by having a conversation that makes us stupider. You heard Eric Carnegie say this, and I'll repeat it because it fits beautifully right here. If you want to move an organization away from something, any direction will do. You can move the organization in an infinite number of any Anything that moves them away from where they are moves them away. But if you want to move an organization towards something, that's a deliberate and specific direction. And one of the ways we can have a deliberate and specific direction is by ensuring the conversations we have actually reinforce the ideas that are important to create change. So we can't have conversations that are stupid or that make us stupider because there's really no benefit in spending that time. I mean, it's just a giant waste of time. So the example I would use for that, in case you're lost, and you might be while you're walking the dog or jumping on a trampoline or in the gym. Oh, my gosh. Are you really in the gym? I'm so proud of you. Right? Is when people want to use really extreme examples to prove you wrong. So you heard that I was on travel a little bit, and I did my Canadian tour. And sure enough, I met somebody who who doesn't like me, just not even a little bit, like doesn't even make any bones about it. They don't like me. And what's interesting is they don't know me. 
So I'm relatively certain that it's not me they don't like. It's what I talk about and what I write about. That somehow really offends them. And what's interesting is that this person chose to attack me. Now, I'm not looking for sympathy because I'm perfectly capable of uh, managing this. And it wasn't an attack attack. I mean, there, there were no baseball bats or chains or anything involved. But they wanted to have an argument with me. And they were really aggressive about it. And what's interesting is that what they did was talk about a really extreme example of a safety problem. And their whole point was, is that if you don't manage with fear, their words exactly, if you don't manage with fear, then you can't manage safety. And I said, wow, that is an interesting choice because I'm relatively certain nothing good ever happens when it begins with a foundation of fear. And uh, the person said, well, you're wrong. You're just, you're wrong. And I said, well, you know, tell me more. And they said, people need to fear what could happen to them so that they will behave and be obedient. He didn't use that word. I did. They will do what they're supposed to do in the workplace. And that's the only way we'll ever make change. And I, you know, I was, uh, be honest with you looking for reasons to get out of it. I was sending the signal to anyone who knew me that they needed to come over and interrupt, but no one clearly saw the chicken wing, the secret chicken wing signal that I sent out. So I was kind of forced in this conversation and, and clearly this person was waiting for this time and it was a really exciting moment in their life to, they were just going to bring me down. I mean, that was This was going to be it. This is going to bring me down. And so we talked about it a bunch and it became really clear to me that in this case, for this person, every inch of this conversation was making us stupider. It wasn't making us smarter. There was no direction that we were deliberately moving towards. We were moving away from anything that makes sense. And I'm relatively certain that every second I spend in that conversation is a second of my life I'm not going to get back. And I was left at the end of that thinking, wow, what an enormous waste of time, talent, and resource for both of us. I mean, not, not just me, but for both of us. And I didn't really understand what to think about that. And part of the reason I didn't understand what to think about that is is my normal pattern, and I bet it's the same one you have as well, is when somebody really wants to bring the idea down, we try to redirect. I try to find common ground where we can kind of start the conversation. And my goal is to always attach new knowledge to old knowledge. So find something they believe in now and then help expand that to something they can believe in next. And you do that by having the conversation and shifting that philosophy, the belief system, which changes the value system, which eventually changes what they say, the actions. But if you can't find that common ground, that, that place to begin, that place where old knowledge allows itself to attach new knowledge, then you have to redirect and get out of there. 
And I used to think redirecting and get out of there was kind of a weakness or, or, or self-protection or some way to sort of move along. In fact, in a way, it kind of felt like I was saying, I'm super important and you're not super important, so I'm going to make up a reason to get out of this conversation so that I don't have to talk to you anymore, which is fine. If they're abusive, you know, this has happened to me lots. I mean, I remember getting attacked over uh, by a relatively famous person over the, the fact that I said root cause analysis for socio-technical safety problems is a stupid way to understand failure and got super attacked by that and had a huge conversation that I didn't want to have that I'm pretty sure made me stupider. And I know it made the person who was arguing with me stupider. And if you think about that, that redirection process isn't really a self-protection action, although it works that way. What it really is, is a way to actually get to a place where the conversation can have value. And the idea of creating a place where the conversation can have value, that's important. So what I think about, and I've been thinking about this a lot, is that what we want to do is get to a point where we simply don't have time to have conversations that make us stupider. Life's too short. And our time is too valuable. And there are many other things we should be doing and want to be doing. And having conversations that make us stupider isn't on that list. I mean, I don't even think it's valuable. So what we ought to do is really sort of fess up to the fact that the conversation we're having now doesn't have a lot of value. It's not making us better. It's not moving us towards improvement. It's actually moving us away from improvement, and it's making us dumb. And if that, in fact, is the case, then let's stop the conversation. I'm not going to redirect you anymore. I'm not going to look for polite ways to uh, shake my cell phone and say, I've got to take this call. I'm just going to say, look, this conversation is not making us smarter. And if it's not making us smarter... I don't have time for it. I'm going to run along and do something more interesting. Now, that idea could be kind of explosive. And maybe this is the part that I sort of started the pod with. Maybe that's offensive. And maybe you haven't thought about it, but I'm guessing you might have. Because I'm pretty certain that every moment we spend together at the minimum, at the default, should be fun. And in the best case scenario, we ought to walk away knowing more about ourselves, about each other, about organizations, and about the world. It's not too much to ask. I I really don't think so. I don't even think it's offensive. I just think that's the way we ought to be thinking about this and kind of drill it in. Make me a promise. And the promise is, is that we'll stop having conversations that make us stupider. And if we can stop having conversations that make us stupider, I think there's nothing but upside to that little idea. And talk about it in your organizations. I mean, find other ways to to say this. I'm not sure the way I'm communicating it is the best way on earth to communicate this. But really spend time saying, 
every minute we talk about the fact that we must discipline people in order to change their safety is a minute of our life we won't get to replay and use for high-value items. I, I mean, it's just a part of it. it. It's funny. We were having a conversation a couple weeks ago, and uh, they submitted a title for a talk that somebody was going to give, and it said, how we can fix human error. How error is not something that workers do on purpose. And I thought, well, that's actually sort of two thoughts. Because you can't fix human error because human error is just normal. It's a part of the system. And the way it normally goes is they want workers to make better choices so they won't make mistakes, except that error is not a choice. And so asking workers to make better choices to not have error is a waste of time and a conversation that makes us stupider. But by saying error is not a choice and we build systems that are tolerant, which is kind of what this title said, that's got some value. And that's what we ought to look at. That's a pretty interesting way to see the world, if you ask me. You didn't. But if you were... That's what I'd say. So what do you think? That's the pod. It's a short and sweet pod. It's not that short. I mean, it's longer than it probably should have been. But I I think this idea, the more I think about it, I'd be curious to see what you think, too. Give me your comments on this, because I'm curious. The more I think about this idea that that was a I just had a conversation that made us stupider. Or that was a conversation that made everybody stupider. Or that was a meeting where we all left dumber than when we came in. That actually ought to be something we should fearlessly and with great boldness bring into the conversation. Because if we're going to talk about stuff that makes us stupider, I'd just soon skip that meeting. I mean, you know, I can do something fun like ride my bike. Because the weather's finally nice, and it's time, and I've replaced my bike because, you know, you can't buy enough bikes. I do know the people at the bike place now, and I think it's because I bought so many bikes. And the new bike garage, thank you, Andres Cruz, seems to be working great. I lock them on this little post, this metal post, and I think it would be hard to steal because the metal post is welded to the metal fence. So maybe I've cracked the code on that. Who knows? You'll, when you, Next time you're in Santa Fe, come by and I'll give you a, a little tour. It's got a little cantilevered roof. You'll like it. It's pretty stylish. You can't really see it from the street, which is even smarter. And uh, and then we put one of those lights in that lights up when motion, what do they call them? motion sensing? Motion lights? Is that what they call it? I don't know what they, I forgot what they call them. But, you know, one of those lights that if you walk in the yard, it turns on. So hopefully we've solved all problems there. I'm really looking forward to the summer. I don't know who you are, but I am totally excited about that. I know for those of you that listen, and there's a ton of you uh, in the other hemisphere, you're going into winter. But that's you'll like it. Early winter is still entertaining. You'll like it. It's great. But for us, I'm I'm this one I'm ready for. I've been ready for it for a while. It's uh, going to be a good time. Man, there's good stuff coming up on the pod as well, so be ready for that. I think you're going to enjoy it immensely. I'm pretty excited. Uh, there's actually quite a few very interesting conversations 
that you get to be a part of. So I think you'll like it a lot. Thanks to everybody that was so kind to me last week as we traveled throughout Canada. It was certainly fun to see everybody. It is, I mean, I complain about it, but it's awfully fun to see people. And uh, it's been really good to be out there and shake hands and, and say hello. It kind of feels like, I mean, it's not back to the way it used to be. I don't think it'll ever be back to the way it used to be. It's different for sure. But it's kind of fun to go out there, and it's definitely fun to see people. Have fun, you guys. Have a good time. Learn something new every single day. Uh, I hope you did today. Um, Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other. Check in on each other. I hope that you're well. That's really valuable as well. And for certain, you guys, don't hesitate to be safe.